puck is dropped, and it's showtime from downtown Winnipeg. Oh, see the blast. Loose puck. Scores! Shankly wires it. Scores! What a stop by Hellebuck. Kyle Connor, Jets go bang, bang, bang. Welcome to Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. It is the final edition of Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets for this season as we wrap up the 2022-23 campaign and the offseason. I know there's a lot more to come, but uh, we'll wrap things up in a nice little bow here. Uh, Mitchell Clinton, Paul Edmonds joining me for this uh, final trip down memory lane of a lot of things that have happened since the draft, free agency, and of course, development camp. So, uh, you know, The draft came and went, and the Jets had a lovely first pick, uh, 18th overall. And I'm going to call Paul the draft guru now because he felt and that the Jets were going to draft Colby Barlow. And there was the Owen Sound captain rolling into the 18th spot. Kevin Sheveldale goes up to the stage, announces the uh, young man's name, and uh, he is officially a Jet. And, uh, Paul, just your thoughts on why you thought that would be – that Colby Barlow would be a good fit for the Jets and why they thought they'd be calling his name out uh, back in Nashville. Well, first off, it was an educated guess because (laughs) – Yeah. I – you know, I didn't. I have my Swami cap on. Yeah, you know, the envelope. Who right? is Colby Barlow? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I had talked to some people, and I got a bit of a temperature of the room for what the organization was looking for this time around, and it wasn't the best player available. It was the best player that was the best fit. And I know that there's been a move afoot to get a little bit more regional or a little bit more nationalistic. They still want the best players from the world, of course, but they wanted some major junior grit, I believe. They wanted some North American flavor to to kind of not offset, but certainly balance what they already have for for their system and, and just different, you know, cultures in terms of hockey. So in saying that, I knew that they probably wanted a guy that was going to be that six foot one, 190 pounds, could score skill set, probably with the passport that said Canadian or somebody that had played major junior hockey if they were an American or a European. So when you start to look at that list at 18 and where these guys kind of slotted in with the different versions of people's lists, the prognosticators' lists. Colby Barlow was one of those guys that just kind of jumped out at you. And not only that, but when you're looking for a little bit of a renewed culture, you're also looking for somebody that can tick a lot of boxes, scoring, vision, but also a captain at 17 years old. And great stories about him, you know, telling the rest of the bench when they were looking to get him another goal uh, to get to a milestone. Forget the goal. We need to win this game. Don't pass me the puck. You know, there's that story that's out there. So Colby Barlow was a good educated guess. And when he was available, the other guy that I thought that they were going to go after was Danielson from Brandon. Had he been available, he was probably the guy that was going to supersede Colby Barlow. But Nate Danielson wasn't available when they got to him. So from that standpoint, you knew it was going to be that guy or that guy of that ilk. And so Colby Barlow was a good guess. And listen, by what we saw at development camp, 
great pick for the Winnipeg Jets. Not that far away. He's going to have a real good opportunity this year as a 19-year-old at Major Junior. He's going to wear the captaincy again. He's also going to have a chance at the World Juniors for Canada. All of these things help in his development and getting to the Winnipeg Jets sooner than later. But it's a great pick for the organization going forward. Yeah, six foot one, 194 pounds, 46 goals in 59 regular season games for Colby Barlow. Jets in the, didn't have a second round pick. Third round, Zachary Nairing from uh, St. Mary's Prep. Uh, big kid, six foot three, 179 pounds. Didn't have a fourth round pick, but a couple of fifth rounders. Jacob Julian, a center from the London Knights, late developing kid, uh, started the year in junior A, moved on to major junior with the London Knights. He's also a rather big, six foot four, 181 pounds. Thomas Millich, a goaltender from the Seattle Thunderbirds. Won gold the World Juniors, also uh, won the Western Hockey League Championship with the Thunderbirds. And a seventh-round pick, Connor Levis, uh, a center from Kamloops, uh, wrapping up the Jets' draft picks uh, from the 2023 NHL draft in Nashville. Nashville, of course, doing a wonderful job in that aspect. At the end of the week, on the Friday before we came back from Nashville, uh, the Jets finally announced the buyout of Blake Wheeler's contract. Mitch, you've been all over this for some time. And it's kind of, you, you, you knew it was coming, but it did. And, and not many people surprised about it, but you wrote an article about it and your thoughts on what Blake Wheeler did for the organization. Now that he's moving on to other pastures. Yeah. Signing the one-year deal with New York, obviously reuniting with captain Jacob Truba in, in New York. So I'm sure uh, the, those two are going to be, if the, if it wasn't the first text that Blake Wheeler got, I'm sure it was one of the, the top three from, from uh, Jacob. Uh, yeah. I mean, I joined the team in, in 2013 and, you know, obviously Wheeler was came over from Atlanta. So, I mean, he's been here the entire time the team's been in Winnipeg and, you know, just kind of going through, a lot of the things that uh, were part of Blake's career signed a couple of contracts here. Uh, obviously the one that, uh, that he ends up getting bought out of the last year of was one that he signed after the Western conference final run. And something that stood out to me at the end of the year uh, this past season was him saying, you know, like I wouldn't have signed that contract if I didn't think we could win here. Now, of course he and his family loved Winnipeg. Like they, they really, became a part of it, you know, helping with Cancer Care Manitoba Foundation, number one, is always the thing that kind of jumps out to me. But, uh, you know, Blake always kind of did these little things kind of away from the rink that he never really, you know, wanted a camera there for or any of that kind of stuff. The The Cancer Care Manitoba Foundation event, the wheeling with the wheelers, that was a little bit different, especially during the pandemic when they tried to find different ways to to do it so that they could continue to raise money. Um, when they had people, you know, biking in their homes or, or however, however that worked for them. Um, that was something that, yeah, you know, there were cameras at, but there were countless, you know, interactions that he had with, with fans that, you know, I, I, and I continue to hear stories about, um, just away from the rink. So I think they, you know, they became a real big part of this community. And then of course on the ice as well, I mean, you're always going to think of the back-to-back 91 point seasons, but the other one that I, that always comes to my mind is, the game in Dallas when he goes into the into the bench door and I think it was Paul Maurice at the time basically said I thought he was done for the year and lo and behold he comes out for the third period and that was I remember that was the year that the Jets were kind of pushing for that playoff spot trying to get in for the first time since relocation and I'm watching the game and I see Wheeler leave and the way that he was playing at the time and I'm just like man like that's a tough loss for the for the team and then out he comes so and there were countless stories of that, you know, over the course of the year leading right up to this year as well. So 
you know, it was an opportunity, that article anyways, which is still on WinnipegJets.com. It was an, and it was an opportunity to kind of go back and, you know, try to remember a lot of these uh, really good moments that, that Blake Wheeler was a part of with the organization. So, and I thought, you know, the way that it was all handled, both from Wheeler's standpoint, you know, wanting to do that video, thanking the the Jets fans for for their support of he and his family. Uh, and then also just, you know, obviously the, the rollout that the team had as well. It was just handled about as amicably as a, as uh, a situation like that can be done, which was just kind of nice to see. Hard, no question about Blake Wheeler's integrity, his hard work, always played hurt. So uh, Blake Wheeler moving on to the New York Rangers for a one-year deal um, after 12, sorry, 13 with the Winnipeg Jets. We just talked about the draft and development camp was just this past week here at the Hockey for All Center. And Paul just... You know, you could tell from the smiling faces, like starting with Jimmy Roy, about how happy everybody was to have development cap back for the first time in four years. Well, this is an important part of the process for these players and for the organization. And I think for a lot of people, too, it it really signified the end of the COVID era, right? We hadn't had it, and I say we, but organizations mm-hmm. hadn't had it, specifically the Jets, because of COVID. It knocked it down, and travel across the border and getting together and all of that. And it just came back and it came back with a lot of zeal. People attacked it with emotion. The people in the stands for the four days, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, saw some scrimmage on Friday, some, some three on three and the interviews and the fan interaction between the two rinks on either side into the foyer of, of a hockey all of hockey for all center. That's still a tough one for me because it's always been the iceplex. But the yeah. foyer at the yeah. Hockey for All Center, you know, I mean, they were lined up and there's kind of that walkway and the Rutger McGrorties that that just have that presence about them, understanding. And you can kind of see a bit of a change in the way the Jets are doing some business. And it's the young guys that might feed that. So it was important for all aspects. I haven't seen the passion you know, narrowed down to that pure fan interaction with the players in a long, long time. And I think because we didn't have that opportunity and the fans didn't have the opportunity to get to know these guys from ground zero and vice versa, you know, the pictures, the autographs, the fawning, it was great. It was fantastic to see it. And the crowds came out and they were just spectacular in terms of their numbers. So development camp, regardless of what you saw on the ice, and we're going to tackle that too, guys. It was a hit. It was important. It was a success because of all of those reasons off the ice, but certainly on the ice with fans being able to see these young players in the Winnipeg Jets system. And then, you know, to have some of these non-roster invitees come in as well and give guys like Evan Friesen, a Winnipeg guy that played for the major junior ice, you know, a chance to, to showcase himself here at a higher level. That's what these opportunities are as well for guys looking for more development, more career paths. And so the fans, the draft picks, and then the free agents all got an opportunity at it. It was a successful week. I know it wasn't a full seven days, but Monday through Saturday was a week in my mind. It was a great week for the Winnipeg Jets, their fans, and really the province of Manitoba that cheer for the, the team. A great story about Evan Friesen, too. Not only did he go to the Western Hockey League final to with the Winnipeg Ice and eventually losing the Seattle Thunderbirds, went on to win gold for, with Canada at the World Ball Hockey Championships in Czechia. So very, uh, And then the excitement finding out that he was coming 
to Winnipeg Jets Development Camp. So great summer so far for uh, Friesen. And uh, also, Mitch, let's – I mean, I think the key word that I heard about throughout the week at, at Development Camp was culture. And that, of course, goes through what they're, – they're trying to develop this with the younger players to continue it, it to the Winnipeg Jets. But is that kind of what stood out to you as well from the players uh, throughout the week in the interviews? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you and I kind of had the opportunity to chat with Tyrell Bauer after the final yeah. skate, just kind of in the hallway before he went through the foyer that uh, that Paul Edmonds was just talking about there. And I mean, Tyrell Bauer, if you ever get an opportunity to talk to him, is just a super nice guy. I mean, he looks huge, especially mm -hmm. on skates. And any Manitoba Moose fan or probably Seattle Thunderbird fan is very well aware of what he brings to the ice in terms of intensity and whatnot. But just talking to him, Super nice guy, right? So, and we've kind of both had the opportunity to do that. So it was nice to catch up with him at Hockey for All Center there. And, you know, that came out without us even really like, we were just talking about, you know, his hometown and all that kind of stuff and what he's going to do for the summer. But it was something that he brought up was just the fact that, you know, this is where all this begins, you know, this building of this culture, this feeling of, you know, everybody working together because, like he said, like they all want to be Winnipeg Jets one day. And yes, you know, ultimately, you know, in the years to come, will there be competition for spots? Yes, that's just the the nature of it. But they know that they sign up for that. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's got to be a, a difficult atmosphere to be a part of. And I think he really, um, really hit the nail on the head that and he said this in his media afterwards as well. You know, regardless of your draft status, regardless of why you're here, whether it's an invite like you guys were talking about, or if you're a first round pick, you know, like Colby Barlow or Rutger McGrory, when you get in that room, you're all unequal. You're all equal with each other. And having that feeling, I think, for whether you're someone that was picked in the seventh round or you're an invite and you're talking with a guy like Rutger McGrory at an escape room, whatever it may be, you know, I think that's just incredibly important and then when you have people buying into that and buying into the fan interaction that, that paul was talking about i just think it, it puts together a a really good uh feel within a within a room within a group of prospects that's something that can be built on year over year shop where the players shop jets gear and truenorthshop.com are your authentic team stores make sure to stock up on all your favorite winnipeg jets and manitoba moose merchandise today Visit one of the five Jets Gear locations or shop online at truenorthshop.com. Hi, this is Cole Perfetti, and you're listening to Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. For continuing the program, we'll start talking about uh, who stood out. And I mean, it's not really, it's kind of, there's so many players, there's a lot of moments that stood out, obviously. But to me, Elias Salamonson, the big defenseman from Sweden, stood out the second round pick. I uh, haven't been able to see a whole lot of him. Um, but this was our first pure look at what he brings. Uh, good heads-up defenseman, bigger guy, moves the puck well. Uh, really liked him and had heard great stories about his past season in Sweden. We'll be back in Sweden playing pro hockey one more time, and uh, maybe Jets fans will get a good, get a chance to see him in the 24-25 season. But he's the one that stood out to me. Paul, I move to you uh, What and who you who stood out in your mind. Well, it's interesting because when you assemble this cast of characters as they do for Jets Development Camp, there's a wide variety of guys, guys that are going to you know, probably push into pro hockey, but also guys that come out of U18, like the Naring boy, right? You know mm -hmm. I mean? So he's still a few years away. He hasn't really even played junior, you know, at yeah. any level. So there's a wide disparity, but that's 
the interesting part of this is that you you look at these guys and you project them probably a couple of years away, the majority of them. But one of the guys that's going to jump right into the system is going to be Danny Zilkin. And I thought he's going to be a moose this year. Um, he's not going back as an overage to the OHL. So I watched him kind of specifically and why he was drafted last year and 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 where he kind of, or that was two years ago, actually, he was drafted. The year that the COVID, we did a bunch of podcasts and, um, you know, it was, it was tough to see these guys. And that was the year that, uh, the Jets drafted a lot of sort of Russian-born or or um, or Belarusian Russians, right? And Danny Zilkin was one of them. Now, he's interesting because he is of Russian descent, but really formative years in Canada. So he brings that that Russian skill and finesse to his game with some size, but also that Canadian heart and desire and passion and grit. So it's a real nice little hybrid there. I watched him. He's got great vision on the ice. He skates very well. His shot is NHL ready. Um, he was doing some of those drills and everything was to that hole that, that only that one hole that you see sometimes on a goaltender or it was off the bar and away or off the bar and down because that's the only area you can shoot from. And that's part of the vision. I just really liked the way he played and commanded himself on the ice. He looked like a guy that was of an older presence sort of out there. And it's going to be one of those sort of first guys that you see first contact here for us. But now we're going to get to see him in the fall, probably a Jets camp and then down to the Manitoba Moose. And that's where he'll find a slot as a 20 year old this year. He'll be 20 in December. So he was a guy that stood out for me uh, back to Salomonson for you. You know, we'll see him probably at the world juniors representing Sweden. So we'll get a real good eye on him. There was lots of guys that caught my eye, but Danny Zilkin would be top of that list. Mitch, what about you, my friend? Yeah, hard to hard to disagree with any of the ones that you guys put forward. I mean, Salamonson was one that, you know, for the first early part of the week in, in development camp, the D and the forwards were, were separate. So, of course, everybody wants to go watch the forwards because they're usually doing the fun stuff on the ice. The D are just doing puck retrievals. But um, I, I really liked what I saw from from Salamonson as well. Just a just a little over six feet, but really seems to move really well. Uh, so that was something that, that caught my eye. And I was intrigued going into the week about Nikita Chibrikov, uh, a guy that was also drafted a couple of years ago now that, you know, you just haven't had the opportunity to see, but, you know, not a big guy, but man, you talk about a shot, like, holy smokes. There were a few times that he would he either scored or be uh, hit the bar and the bar made a different sound than what it normally does just because of how, how hard and how heavy that shot was. So that was interesting to see. And of course he's, going through the adjustment of getting uh, acclimated to to North America here. He signed his entry-level deal last year, uh, but he talked about the guys that he's leaning on, Danny Jilkin being one of them. And it's interesting because you go back to the U18s a couple of years ago, Danny Jilkin's Canadian team beat Chibrikov and the Russian team in the gold medal finals. So um, clearly those are two guys that, that grew up a little bit together. They knew each other before uh, Jilkin moved to, to North America. So, Chibrikov was probably the one that I was just the most curious about because just hadn't seen him, you know? Uh, so that was, and I, I did want to want to see what kind of game granted it's July that, you know, your, your top end picks in Rucker McGrory and, and Colby Barlow. I wanted to see what kind of games they brought as well, just to see in front of you. The story I always tell is back in 2014, when the Jets drafted Nikolai Ehlers development camp was the first time to see this speed that everybody talked about. So and I remember watching him skate and just being like, this guy can flat out fly, you know? So that was 
kind of what I like to use development camp for. So it was good to see all of those guys again, granted July, but just to get a little bit of a sense of what they bring to the table. Yeah, it's uh, an interesting travel story too. Artemi Inayazev, who came in over a trade for Leon Gavanka from the San Jose Sharks. So Craig Heisinger relayed this story to me. So Inayazev flies over from Moscow to San Jose or so San Francisco, lands at 6 p.m., finds out, gets a phone call from Craig Heisinger that he's coming to Winnipeg after he'd been told he'd been traded. And that flight came at 6 a.m. So all Kanayasev could do was go to the hotel, work out, go to bed, wake up the next day, and he's a Winnipeg Jet, but great kid. And uh, lots of travel stories that are very challenging. So you can imagine flying from Moscow to San Francisco, then flying from San Francisco to Winnipeg. So good trip for him to come up and uh, learn, introduce himself as a new, one of the newest Winnipeg Jets. Three agency also went by as well, and a lot of conversation going to the draft and now into the offseason about Connor Hellebuck. We're not sure about what his status is going to be, but now we've kind of had a bigger picture of what the goaltending depth chart looks like for the Winnipeg Jets, also signing Colin Delia. Lauren Brassois is a Winnipeg Jet once again. They drafted Thomas Millich, so, and there's Oscar Salmonen as well down with the Manitoba Moose. And, of course, you have Dominic DiVincentis, who signed his entry-level deal. It is looking like the depth chart is kind of filled out, but the question is where everybody is bouncing. And the biggest question of all is Connor Hellebuck, the three-time Vesna Trophy finalist, going to be a Winnipeg Jet. Paul, just your thoughts on the organizational depth chart of how it's looking for the Jets heading into the offseason. It's gotten better in the last two years, there's no doubt about it. And I know that they had a couple of departures this year, but they seem to have filled their funnel rather nicely with some draft picks. And then certainly, you know, the... The, the Millage pick uh, is just a – it's it's a great pick. I mean, we saw him for a couple of games here in Winnipeg, um, passed over for a few years, worked hard, represented Canada at the World Juniors, got uh, Seattle to the finals. They ended up beating the Winnipeg Ice in the Western Hockey League final. He was outstanding in the two games that were in Winnipeg. And then I ended up watching the other three games that were played in Seattle on television as well. And he was equally as good. And what I liked about him is just the consistency throughout. So, you know, he's going to be a guy that I watch and even Chentis as we've talked about as well, and real happy to be drafted and then talked after he signed the deal with the jets uh, during development camp, uh, seemed a little nervous when he was talking to everybody, but the, the organizational depth has gotten a lot deeper, for lack of a better term, in the last uh, couple of months, for sure. Um, I do believe that the signing of Lauren Brossois, you know what you're going to get with him as a person and on the ice. I even believe, and he talked about this as well, did Lauren, that he's developed more into a better goaltender from the time that he left Winnipeg, just getting more of an opportunity. So it's a real nice one and maybe a slight 1A push to Lauren Brossois with Connor Hellebuck and Lauren Brossois. But if there is something that moves in the camp or with the Jets or both with Connor Hellebuck between now and training camp, well, you feel pretty good about going in with Lauren Brossois, who was pretty good last year for the Vegas Golden Knights and helped them get to the playoffs, helped them in that first round playoff series win over the Jets in moving forward. So you're not really kind of caught without a number one goaltender if there's something that happens along the way between now and the fall with Connor Hellebuck. I maybe look for Connor Hellebuck to, if there isn't anything, that he stays. 
They try to convince him to stay long-term. What long-term looks like, I'm not sure. At 30 years old, do you want to sign a goaltender that you control for eight more years? That might be a bit of a push. Seven, still a push. Maybe five, something in around there. Get him to mid-30s. Might be his last contract. Or if you don't come to some sort of an agreement or you realize that this is going to end, you'll still have that chip to move him at the deadline. So there's lots of options for Connor Hellebuck and for the organization. But overall, to be succinct and answering your question, the Winnipeg Jets goaltender depth got a lot deeper in the last two years, specifically over the last couple of months and in the last couple of weeks. Well, Thomas Millich will be a professional this year. will not go back to the Western Hockey League. It's just a matter of where he ends up. Paul, going back, to Mitch, to Lauren Brassois, I, I found his media availability very interesting. But one thing that Kevin Sheveldayoff said that stood out to me is that he's a better goaltender now than he was when he last was with the Winnipeg Jets. Is that how you feel about him and his position heading into uh, this uh, this next season? Well, I think it's exactly how he feels. And he was straight up about it because he said, you know, I got so used to not being, I think it was his left hip. He said, so used to it, just not being something he could use. Like, I think he, he almost said it was like, it was almost like it was dead. Like there's just nothing to it. So you're, you're working on your game, knowing that there's just certain things that you're not able to do. Well, now that's not the case. And he talked about how exciting it was to be able to like be working on his game and be able to move and, and, and do these things that he's been wanting to do for a while, but just couldn't. So I think that's exciting. And he comes into Winnipeg once again, you know, trying to prove himself. And, you know, he's got that chip on his shoulder about wanting to prove that he can be that elite goaltender in this league. And I always think that that's something really good for a player to have. You know, you always... I mean, I remember watching, here's a reference for you, the last dance documentary and how many times, you know, someone as great as Michael Jordan had to just find something, you know what I mean? So I think for, for Brossois, it's exactly kind of the, the same thing. He's coming in once again to prove himself. And I thought the other enlightening thing that he really said and something I never really thought of, and he, he was asked about why, you know, you don't see as many of those uh, goaltenders that can play 65 games anymore said the position's just physically more demanding now so I thought that was something else that was interesting that that he brought up and something that I'll keep an eye on I, I would really like to investigate further with him because I can just imagine how much more difficult uh, that position's gotten with how elite the shooters are now yeah Lauren Bersois I, I think what the key part here is if Connor Hellebuck is back to start next year, the idea is to cut back on the amount of games he's played. But we've heard that before, and we'll see how that all shakes out should he stay his final year of his deal with the Jets, unless there's, of course, an extension or he moves on. One of the things I can teach anybody out there putting a podcast together, when you send the outline to the people on the podcast, you have to be very clear about what it is. So our final item was summer goodbyes, and I wasn't very clear about that. So Paul, who's always a stickler for the details, has gone into a summer goodbyes, and you have written some summer goodbyes for some members of the Winnipeg Jets, my friend. Please go ahead. Well, it was interesting because it was item number six, but it didn't have six, period, which would have yeah. referenced <laughs> it as item number six. It just yeah. had six summer goodbyes. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I'll you know do my homework and I'll try to come up with six. And I did. So anyway, the first one is number 26. Blake Wheeler moves off yeah. to the New York Rangers. Kevin Stenland moves on to the Florida Panthers. 
David Redditch moves on to the Los Angeles Kings along with Pierre-Luc Dubois, separate deals, of course, as we know. <laughs> so Dubois is off to the Kings as well. Leon Gavanka, a farmhand, but a right shot D-man. Had a real good year with the Moose. Was maybe going to get some traction with the Winnipeg Jets. Decided to sign over, of course, back home in Germany. But then there was the trade, as you talked about, with San Jose. And then Carson Kuhlman. Signed as a free agent with the New York Islanders. He signs a one-year, two-way deal with the Islanders. So there's your six summary <laughs> goodbyes from Jets that were Jets last year that are no longer Jets this coming season. You always knock it out of the park, my friend. So this is all about the details, and my friend Paul Edmonds sticking to the details. Uh, basically, what we're doing here, too, is this This essentially is the last podcast of the 22-23 season. I know we've moved on to the 23-24 season. But Mitchell, what, what are you up to this summer, and what do you – maybe hoping to see as this uh these next couple of months go by uh some contracts for the rfas for mm-hmm. sure uh yeah. that, especially because you know two of the three forwards that came back in that dubois deal are rfas so but kevin chevaldev seemed quite confident about being able to get those done uh so looking forward to seeing that done and then Always, you know, it's nice to take advantage of some of the nice uh, summer weather we have here. So I'm sure I'm going to be outside a lot, hoping to even out the farmer tan that I've already put together. Uh, just not one of those people that goes outside, does like yard work shirtless or anything. You know what I mean? It's not one of those people. But I may have to like force myself because otherwise, if I wear a t-shirt with like a differing length of sleeve, it becomes very obvious uh so yeah that's hopefully that's you know what the summer entails a lot of uh family time and whatnot and uh hopefully some signings along the way i, I wish this was a video podcast because you could see how crystal clear paul Edmonds is looking right now he got a new laptop he was bragging about it before he could, this podcast started but this is the best i've seen you look and i've sat beside you for three <laughs> years so. i shaved <laughs> <laughs> what are your summer plans my friend and what are you hoping to see from the jets well, just before I get to that, I always like yeah. to tell a story, too. And yeah. based on what Mitchell's talked about, um, there was a series that the Winnipeg Gold Eyes played, and it was in Kansas City, and it was a number of years ago, and it was called Redneck Weekend. <laughs> and for Redneck Weekend, the Kansas City T-Bones at that time, they're now the Monarchs, they ended up wearing these sleeveless jerseys, okay? So it was just like a vest, almost, <laughs> And every one of these baseball guys had the farmer tan, right? Because the <laughs> sleeves go down and then you play. If you're not wearing sleeves after May, you don't have any sleeves. So you can really see like tan skin up to about the elbow. And then from the elbow up to the shoulder where the jersey actually started, it was not tan. <laughs> and it was hilarious because a lot of these guys looked like they had white undershirts on underneath right and so the redneck weekend was hilarious i I laughed the the whole weekend the friday well it was mostly on the sunday the getaway day because you could really see it it wasn't under the lights right Um, but yeah that whole weekend was hilarious i'll never forget about that was a great promotion and yeah the jerseys without any sleeves on them on redneck week so and they had this kind of a they had a plaid color to the the jersey right (laughs) just to make it even better uh, what am I doing? Well, you know, I'll watch with interest to see if there's any more moves with the Winnipeg Jets or what happens with Hellebuck or what happens with Mark Shifley potentially, or if there's another free agent signing. I'm also watching around the league, like 
Patrice Bergeron, not mm. signed yet. He's a free agent. Yeah. No, there's some other guys and some other bigger names out there. So I'll watch with interest as we go along to see who also wants to maybe make some moves. It seems that there's a bit of a um, an absorption of, okay, maybe some more deals are going to happen via trade. So those are always interesting and how people are build their teams uh, going forward if there's still a lot of moves like in Philadelphia's case if they still want to divest themselves of some some players and get a little bit more younger as they've already started that trend uh, but overall it'll be probably just some some projects around the house as people know I love to fish so it only gets better as summer gets later into summer and into early fall in terms of angling uh, but we'll have a lot of baseball going on here with my youngest guy and He's in some provincials coming up in this weekend, and then he's got his he's playing double A, and then he's got his triple A provincials coming up later. And there might be an opportunity to go and represent uh, represent Manitoba. We'll see what happens, perhaps in BC. So a lot of baseball still to go, and some hockey for the kids starting up and cranking back up. So we'll be busy, but we'll be around. Yeah, I wish Nolan all the best in his uh, his quest to be joining provincials. Uh, and you guys, uh, great year with you um next year we'll be having a video podcast so paul will have to shave more more times than not um and we'll have to see how that goes and of course we're not going to be able to show off this beautiful laptop computer as we'll have a beautiful brand new studio that will be coming out of uh, unless of course you're on the road mitch appreciate your time uh, as for our listeners thanks so much for tuning the ground control official podcast of winnipeg jets enjoy the summer and we'll talk to you guys this has been Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. For more Jets news, videos, and more, head to winnipegjets.com.